We want to say hello to everybody that's watching us live online. It's Chris and Carol Green, and Fruitful Life Learning Center family. And we are so thankful to the Lord for yeah. just uh, giving us this time to be together, to share together. Uh, we've been talking about equipping leaders and becoming ready responders to rescue. Uh, we've been taking the time to go through what we call soul care or preparing ourselves for the cultural and core value differences that you encounter uh, with people. And uh, last week we uh, just went into the first seven. I'll just read them through. I won't go back through and explain them all. Uh, you have to go back and watch last week's video for that. Number one, we said, ask yourself why you want to help or be involved in the life of someone who is in crisis. Number two, personal experience is good, uh, but be careful to not project and transfer your life and feelings into the person you are helping or educating. Uh, number three, we talked about what worked or connected for you um, may not necessarily connect or work for them. Uh, number four, Fight and flight lifestyles produce very different core values. Definitely can't get into all explaining all of that. Again, go back and watch last week's video <laughs> for the explanation. Number six, be careful with making assumptions about people's behavior. Uh, people do what they do for a reason. Yes, yes. Uh, and then number seven, we said watch those value judgments. Always, always, always be respectful uh, and no condescension. Please always be humble when working with people and when dealing with people. Never have a, a superior attitude. attitude towards them. Wow. And now we want to continue. We don't know how far we'll get, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll just see. <laughs> uh, number eight is you don't have to learn the urban lingo and slang to connect with people. Uh, just be real. Be authentic. And not only just urban, but with any particular group of people. Yeah. You may not know what their, their, their slang or lingo is, and even if you find out what it is, I would suggest not trying to use it. No, especially if it's not something that you <laughs> that normally, normally do. do. Uh, yeah, no, Somehow you're not going to say it right. I don't yeah, care how much no. it sounds right in your own head. If it's, it's not a part of your normal not, lifestyle, don't, don't do try it. it. Don't even no. try it. <laughs> um, we can tell you, tell you that happened from having been youth pastors back in the 90s and um, every era of young people has their their language and all of that. And I'm telling you, we never once tried to speak the language of the 90s with those young people. And back that was back in the days of Tupac Shakur and and, and you know, Notorious and N.W.A. All the groups that were out of Compton and all of that. And believe me. <laughs> I, there was nowhere in the world I was going to try to compete with that. You said you were youth pastors and you didn't try to talk their language and all no, that? No. That's not what they wanted. Because we weren't there to try to be their friends and their buddies yeah. and to connect on that level. Yeah. Uh, we were there as really as like parents yes. uh, in their lives or spiritual mom and dad and things like that. And so um, and the reason why we're sharing this is when you're working with people and talking to people, just be yourself. Yes. Yes. It really is okay to be yourself. You may feel like you're out of touch with the times and out of touch with what they're connected with and what they know and what they're doing. But you're but, not disconnected from from the human from experience human, from the human experience no, from relationships never. they are the same human beings are the same from era to era yeah. they all we all need the same things yeah you're and looking, that's where we connect yeah you're looking for love 
looking to be respected, looking to be understood, all of that. And everybody shares that in common. So just be real. Uh, number nine, don't be quick to correct or critique. Listen. Oh, 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 that's a big one. When you're working with people, I'm saying this to all of you as, our, as ready responders, uh, when you're listening to people, uh, don't be quick to correct them or critique them. And that's something we really have to... commentary. Yeah, there's something we have to be really careful of because for a lot of us, our church environment and even our home environment um, was very strong on correcting people. You know, uh, correcting their grammar, correcting their posture. their posture, correcting everything, always correcting and critiquing. And so we can still kind of carry some of the residual stuff of that inside of us, especially when you, you know, you have this desire for people to change their attitude, change their mindset, because, you know, they may be saying something that's very, very negative, very, very damaging while they're talking to you about what they're going through. But while they're, while they're getting all this stuff out of them, while they're unloading their hurt and their pain and their fears, that's not the time. <laughs> to start trying to correct them. You know, they may say something like, uh, you know, uh, I, I remember people have made such statements where they talked about good luck or, or bad vibes and all of that. And so you feel the temptation to go, well, don't speak nothing. Don't let no corrupt negative communication come out of your mouth. And you don't want to profess that because that will give the enemy the opportunity to, well, this ain't the time to teach that. Right now, just let them get it out. <laughs> And that's what I mean. It's not time to correct them. And certainly isn't time to go into critiquing them. You know, it would have been because they may tell you some of the stuff that they did. Well, you know, I had a fight with my girlfriend or I had a fight with my mom. And, and I told my mother how I felt about what she said to me. And so that's not the time, you know, to get into that. Yeah, yes, you're right. You need to be respectful towards your mom and all of that. But this isn't the time to try to nail them on that. Right now, let them get it out. Yeah. In fact, the more you listen, you're going to find out. <laughs> you're going to find out <laughs> why, thing, why they're saying what they're saying. Yes, they do need to learn how to be respectful to parents. Another one of those things that we learned in all those years as youth pastors. Um, it was so tempting. And I, I won't say I didn't do it every time. Sometimes I correct uh, kids and, uh, about being respectful to their parents. And you shouldn't have said this and you shouldn't have said that. And even though I was right to say that, uh, I was later to find out that some of them were in abusive homes. Mm -hmm. They were in seriously abusive homes. And so what they were releasing or responding to. and were responding to and why they said that. See, because, you know, people, oh, that's not only teenagers, but everybody. Everybody has a difficult time expressing and articulating their story. You have to get used to that. Because mm -hmm. most of us aren't used to anybody even wanting to listen to our oh, story. Thank you. So when you find somebody that's ready to listen, then all this stuff is pouring out, and it comes out. It's not in sequential order. Don't right, you hate right. that sometimes? You like yeah. you tell this part of the story, then you remember this, then right. you remember that, and by the time you get through trying to tell all the story, I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't even tell you in the order in which all that happened because I'm just trying to get it all out. Right. And so if somebody's trying to critique you and correct you, you lose track. You, you lose track of what you're even trying to say yourself. You're not. You're not they just need to get it all out. Yeah. And, uh, and also, we get the wrong picture of what they're trying to say when we keep stopping them to critique them. We may miss totally what they really are trying to communicate. Um, 
So that's one that want to really uh, lay that one out for you. Don't be quick to correct or critique. Here's number 10. Learn to lead people. This really kind of the very the next follow-up to number nine. Number 10, learn to lead people to solutions. Learn to lead people to solutions, not just tell them what to do. Ask questions. Yeah. Even when you get to the point where you're where they're gotten it out and you built relationship, you're building relationship and building their confidence, we still have to learn how to lead people to solutions, meaning it's a step-by-step process. Now, one of the things that we uh, do, we are, we are uh, certified life coaches, and life coaching isn't therapy. It isn't counseling. It is uh, a very sy- systematic process that you pay, take people through to lead them to, till they come to more healthy conclusions about their life. You're not telling them what to do. You're not even telling them what to think. But life coaching, the tools that we have learned, has enabled us to uh, present the questions or food for thought. Uh, Those of you who have been through our life coaching program, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We ask open-ended questions. We ask a series of questions that lead you to a conclusion about yourself. And so that's why we're saying this. Learn how to lead people to the solutions of their life, not just simply tell them. them what to do. It's, one of the, it's one of the things that many pastors, uh, especially in the urban community, many African-American pastors in particular, they're, they're struggling with this transition in America because people strongly cannot... Uh, you really cannot. I'm not just saying will not. They cannot receive your solutions. Even though you're right and it's from the Bible, they can't receive it. Why? Because it's something that you're forcing upon them. You aren't leading them into the answer. You're just telling them what they ought to do and what they're supposed to do. And that's not leading them. In other words, really, uh, it's something that we really shouldn't have been doing all along. Jesus gave us the example. He said, uh, uh, of, of a shepherd leading sheep. Sheep are led to pasture. They're led out into the field. They're led, uh, uh, even according to Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. He leads us. And so this whole thing about uh, I'm just going to tell you what you need to do and always, and I see now the pattern. There are many, many pastors, men and women, uh, they're operating out of the abusive lifestyle in which they grew up in. They grew up being told what to do and made to, to do things. In fact, our African-American community as a whole, I know there are some exceptions to the rule, but as a whole, we've, we've grown up with this um, and adopted the, the uh, mentality of our slave masters. Dictatorial. We adopted slavery into the way we raise our families. We're dictators. We tell our kids what to do. You make them do things. Not actually um, teaching, leading, nurturing. In fact, we thought of that as, uh, some of you, you will identify with this. If you chose to raise your children that way, you were accused of being white. Am I right? You're accused of being white if you choose to raise your children in a nurturing right. atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because something as simple as, 
Uh, if you ask your children, you know, you say, would you like to clean up your room? Now, most black parents, especially growing up in my era, would be like, you don't ask no child if they want to clean up their room. Well, why were people doing that? Why were they asking their children? Because they were trying to teach them to take responsibility. They weren't saying it's an option if rather you clean your room, but it's to make you take responsibility, take the initiative. That's why so many uh, inner city children they go at home, they're told what to do. They go to school, they're told what to do. And when they graduate and get into the real world, they go on jobs and they're still, and they're waiting for their Somebody bosses to and supervisors to, to tell them what to do. And they don't know how to take initiative. Why? Because they've never been trained throughout their entire life to take initiative. To take initiative. Yeah. Never. They've been dictated to and not, not really uh, nurtured into it. So I don't say that as... Uh, here we go. Say, so don't be quick to correct or critique. <laughs> but I don't say this to critique uh, uh, you. And if that was part of your uh, parenting style, because you did what you knew to do, and your parents did what they were taught to do, and go on and on back you go. Everybody doing what they were taught to do. But now that we know a better way, uh, we're going to teach a better way. And that's what being a ready responder is about. Yeah. So always know that as, as a ready responder, uh, you're not there to, to tell people what to do, even though you know what they should do. Yeah. But you're, you're there to diagnose yeah. and then to uh, take people on, on a journey, on their journey. to self-discovery. Yeah. And that sounds weird. We have a question. Question. Okay. Well, um, because people need, she's so funny, people need to, <laughs> she's ready to give us an offer now. <laughs> you are funny. And when you hear those words like self-discovery, no, we're not talking like about, about finding, a, a, somebody finding a, themselves. We're not getting into new age doctrines yeah. and, and um, humanistic, human-centered belief. No. But many, many people, many believers, they really don't even understand themselves. When we say to them things like, uh, 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 you know, get to know the Lord and, uh, and wrap yourself in the Lord and all of that, we've done it. We said that I understand where they're coming from. But you have people who don't even understand themselves. Right. And we're telling them to lose themselves in yeah. the Lord. And that's why outside of church world, they don't know who to be. They don't know what to do. They don't know because we haven't helped them to learn basic things like taking initiative, thinking things through. God gave us a mind. Somehow in the church world, in the religious world, I won't just say church, yeah, say in the religious world, we put down thinking. We minimize thinking as if though it's sinful to think. <laughs> we tell them, you know, you don't need your mind. You just need the mind of Christ. Okay. Well, if that were true, then yeah. we would not need to know math. Right. You would not need to worry about balancing your checkbook. You would not need to worry about keeping the repairs up in your house oh, or in your car because you don't need to think. Well, you wouldn't know how to read, so you wouldn't <laughs> you be wouldn't able know. to. You don't read need to read the Bible. Well, right? See, now thank you. <laughs> yeah. So you need to, you need to know how to think. God gave us a mind. 
He gave us a mind. He even, even he himself said, come, let us reason yeah. together. together. Yeah. Even God himself, with knowing that he is our Savior, he is our Lord, from the very beginning in the garden, gave man choice. That's thinking, y'all. Choice. Choosing rather to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because the day that you eat it, you will surely die. You now have a choice. You must think <laughs> before you choose. <laughs> so it's just that since man chose the wrong thing, we have uh, grossly uh, taken down the value of thinking. Because man has exalted his own thinking above God's thinking. But God does not discount our thoughts. He just simply says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He didn't say, don't have a thought. Just understand that no matter how much you think, I'm not against your thinking. My problem is in when you think your thoughts are higher than mine. But he's not opposed to us thinking. Why am I saying all of this? Because this is part of learning to lead people. People must be taught to think things through. How many of you even right now are coaching people or walking people through the consequences of what? Bad decisions. Things that they did not think through. Even when you warned them and told them. <laughs> so I'm putting great emphasis on this thinking aspect because God gave us minds. He gave us minds and he wants us to think. And so when we are leading people, he doesn't, God doesn't have a conflict with us helping people to think and to reason and to calculate. You know, before you build something the word of god says we are supposed to count up the cost that's thinking, that's thinking. not just i'm gonna leave it up to the lord the lord knows it's just up to him no you better think right. <laughs> before you take on this project right. yeah and that's that kind of i guess the reason why i'm putting so much emphasis on this and it may not be your life's experience those of you that are watching that may not be your life's experience. They may not be part of your background when I talk about the African-American experience and, and uh, how slavery hindered our families and our mentality and the way we grew up. But it's still, you need to understand that uh, uh, God gave you a mind and he wants you to think things through and you have to uh, calculate. Even to get saved, God didn't just make the appeal to our heart. He made an appeal to our thoughts, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amen. that's the key. Yes. So I'm sharing this so that you really don't have a conflict. When the day comes and we jump into, won't jump into, but when we get to where we're certifying you to become life coaches and all of that, and, and suddenly we're walking you through all this stuff that has to do with, deal with thinking and com comparing thoughts and making decisions, and you don't, you all kind of go, oh my Lord, what happened to our pastors? I thought that <laughs> I thought that we were into spiritual things. Well, believe me, life coaching is very spiritual. 
and helping people through their thought process is very spiritual. Yeah. We don't want people to lose their, their mind. We want them to submit to the mind of Christ. I'm submitting my thoughts to his thoughts. I'm submitting my mind to his mind. I know we've heard the phrases, you need, you need to lose your mind and gain the mind of Christ. Oh, okay, I get what you're trying to say. but <laughs> Please don't lose your mind. <laughs> Give it to God. <laughs> <laughs> I know what they're, they're meaning when they say that. Yes, yes. But in this era, in America in particular, mm -hmm. I feel the need to go back and correct some of those statements and those phrases yes. that became cliches yes. in our religious experience because now those statements are harmful yes. everybody knew what you meant back then because mm -hmm. just basic things is uh our education system was in a different place yes. so i could make the assumption that you know what i mean yeah. i can't make that assumption anymore yeah. <laughs> i really can't not when grade point averages are 0 0.3 something not when uh, people do not have the ability to uh, understand the nuances of debate. Not in an era and time when people will uh, delete you and unfriend you just because they disagree with the color of your hair. Not in an era like what we have now. Now we must put emphasis on, okay, you need to think. You, you need to... But I was always told, I, I was always told that all I got to do is just trust the Lord and don't worry about, no, you need to think. And we must think and we must now actually teach people. And that's going to be part of it. That's why I'm, I'm saying this, learn to lead people to solution. We're going to have to actually teach people uh, some of the thinking skills, critical thinking. Critical thinking. Remember, being, remember that critical thinking? Uh, the church has uh, many, again, the religious world, I won't just say the church. But they have discouraged critical thinking. They really have. And we really must have it in place in this time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Number 11. Acceptance is not approval. What do I mean by acceptance? Uh, when you are working with or dealing with someone and perhaps their lifestyle is very much against the Bible. Their lifestyles, their beliefs. Uh, their practices, and so when I say acceptance is not approval, what I'm saying is you are simply accepting that this is where they are right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. You see the parentheses that says, think of it as a starting point. You must accept people for where they are right now. That's it, what God did for with us. us. Yes, he did. He accepted us. Just like we were, but, in, but because of his God, that's what agape, love. remember that word agape? Unconditional acceptance, unconditional acceptance of where you are. But agape goes the next step, and that's where we're going to be involved in, too. Agape says, I love you so much that I accept you the way you are, and I also love you so much that I won't let you stay that way. Yay! <laughs> and we're so busy wanting to move people into their change. That we we offend them. We we skip the first step. Yes. I gotta I gotta accept you the way you are. Yes. Where you are right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we talked about that in part of our conversation after we went off uh, off of our webcast last week about how young people coming into the church 
young men with their pants sagging, young ladies mm -hmm. that are dressed like they, they would at a nightclub, and people not accepting them where they are. That's where they are right now. And trying to tell them to pull their pants up and throwing cloths on them, on the girls, you're, you're going to lose them. You absolutely will lose them. And even for us as ready responders, please learn to accept people where they are. Understanding that acceptance is not approval of their behavior. It's not approval of their lifestyle. Uh, and, of course, i got to say this because it's the era that we live in, um, in this era of gay marriage and and gay relationships, even, and of course the Bible speaks against it, but we have gay friends. Mm -hmm. How in the world can you have gay friends? You know, Bible says be separate, come out from among them. <laughs> okay, I'll start a whole sermon on this alone. <laughs> but so I'll just repeat what I said. Acceptance is not approval. It's a starting point. How in the world will we convince anybody of God's love if you're shunning them. How can, they, how can they hear God's viewpoint? How are they going to hear God's viewpoint? How are they going to see it? Yeah. Unless we, there is an open door into their lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So acceptance is not approval. Now, uh, one of the things that we've learned, and this is kind of a side note, one of the things that we've learned is that everybody uh, that's gay is not necessarily radical. They're not. Just like uh, I think it happens, we understand this as black people. Uh, emphasis gets put on the people who are uh, maybe violent, maybe protesting violently, and that's not everybody. But every, then everybody gets painted with the same brush. All of y'all are violent. All of y'all are busting out windows and rioting and everything for civil rights and for your civil rights stance. And that's unfair. Mm -hmm. That's not where all of us are. And so we do the same things when, when for people that are gay. We say all the gays and when all the transgenders want our bathrooms open for all the boys and girls to be in the room. That's not everybody. Yes, there, I remember sharing this at a particular church here in the community that you have to understand that when people are protesting or pushing for their agenda, folks are in such different levels of that. I believe I remember I, at an all-white church, I actually talked about Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I sure did. And I said, now, for, for, for most people involved in Black Lives Matter, it is, it is, uh, it's just conversational. They just want People in this country to understand our history and how it's affecting us today. They're never going to stand on the street, but they will have private conversation with you sitting in the table or at work or wherever the topic happens to come up. Mm -hmm. That's their level. Then there are others. They will march in the streets. They will carry signs. They'll march, but it will, it will be totally peaceful. They want more than a conversation. They want a public demonstration, uh, and they want to have uh, townhouse meetings and open forums uh, and conversation in a public way. That's another level. Mm -hmm. Then you got those who are operating at a level of they're involved in lobbying. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make moves behind the scenes and get people removed from office or replaced in office mm -hmm. uh, to push, that's going to push the agenda uh, for Black Lives Matter. Then there are those who are even deeper than that. 
and they are connected with, I believe they're connected with the global elitist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who are not pushing just Black Lives Matter. They're pushing both sides. They're funding both sides. And the people who are receiving the funds from both sides, black and white, they know what's up. They're operating totally covert and undercover. They're getting paid big money to push a, div a divisive agenda. So the people at the level of, I just want to be understood, should not be looked at as the same thing as folks who are receiving the big bucks to keep the division going. And it's unfair to paint everybody with the same brush. And that's the same way I believe it is for in, with the gay rights community, women's rights community. To, you can just go through the list. Everybody's not operating at the same level. Why am I sharing this? Because believers uh, must understand it. And we as ready responders must understand that. Because you will have, I don't just want to use the word client, but you will have people in your own family. You will have people that you are ministering to and that you're helping uh, that will be operating at one of these levels in these issues. And you will have a voice. And your understanding of that will help you to walk through their issues in their life. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you find yourself working with someone who's gay, you have to understand that their gayness is, that's not a good word. Their homosexuality is not, in their thinking, the central issue and core of my life. Mm -hmm. The core and central issues to them in their life is my abusive dad, my abusive husband, the trials and trauma that I've been through in my life, the rapes I've been through. The, mm -hmm. That's what. So while we're focusing focusing on their homosexuality. Their issue is the pain, mm -hmm. the trauma I have gone through in my life that led me to make this life's choice. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be so hung up on, on their lifestyle, mm -hmm. we'll miss it. Yeah. That's when many people miss it with black people. They think we as black people, uppermost in our mind is civil rights and slavery. That ain't what's up with I'm not walking around the streets all day, every day, thinking, thinking, thinking about what I've been through as a black man in this country. That's just part of life. <laughs> That's why you just think about it. Even, even us, we've gotten kind of offended when people start, somebody who's white starts a conversation with us, and then they'll say something like, uh, uh, I don't see no color. I just see, and you're like, where did that come from? I'm not walking around thinking I'm black. <laughs> All day long. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> and it's the same way for women. You're not. You don't, how would you feel like every every man walked up to you? I really want you to understand that I'm down for the women's cause. And you're like, dude, I'm just shopping. <laughs> Where did that come from? I'm not walking around thinking I'm a woman oppressed in America. All day long. <laughs> and so we have to be careful with the same thing. It's more of an issue for us than it is for, for them. It really is. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs>
Number 12, don't be led by guilt. It's okay to not have a frame of reference for another's life experience. We share this because uh, it is when you hear people talking about their life, um, you can find yourself, it may not be necessarily for those of us in the room, because most of us in this room or even watching us, you've been on the other side of this. But I, we share this for the particular, for people that we have experienced through the years who have come into the inner city and they don't know what it's like to live in that world. They don't know nothing about hearing gunshots around the house, uh, you know, 12 chains on your doors and locks and <laughs> they don't know nothing about that. And, uh, you know, and you're worried about your kids going back and forth to school every day. And so it's not their life. And they're very uncomfortable with them. But at the same time, when you talk about it, they, they have a, we've noticed many have a, a sense of guilt that you have to live that way. And I, didn't, and I don't have in any. Order to understand. And I don't even, I don't even know what it's like to have to live that way. So I feel guilty that you do that you do live that way or have had to live that way. So we put this in there, particularly for folks who, some, you're talking to somebody, they've never been through what you're talking about, and so you can begin to feel guilty because you don't know what that's like. Now, mm -hmm. we can still have that. In other words, uh, if you're talking to someone who's lost a loved one, and if you've never experienced like losing a mom or a dad, I haven't, I, my wife lost her dad, more, both of my parents are still alive. And so if I'm sharing with somebody who's talking about the loss of their parent, then the tendency would be on my part to feel guilty that I don't know what that's like. And then I shut down because I don't know what that's like. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say and things like that. So that's what we mean. It's okay to not have a frame of reference for another person's life experience. Mm -hmm. right. It really is okay. And you can actually say that. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I just can't imagine what that's like. Just listen. You know. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You don't have to. In fact, we had that uh, recently in a conversation with a gentleman as I, he actually asked about my experience of being a black man in America, so I shared some of it, and he just said, that's overwhelming for me to hear you say, to talk like this. He said, I feel like I should do something. I said, that's just it. You don't have to do something. I didn't share it with you for you to try to fix it. Right. <laughs> And that's kind of typical for us men anyway, and, and I know, you know, you know, from your husbands, <laughs> mm -hmm. we always want to fix stuff. You start telling us. You start feeling responsible. We start feeling responsible. Let me fix it. And many times our wives, our mothers, our sisters, girlfriends are like, I didn't tell you this for you to try to fix it. <laughs> I just wanted you to listen. And so this brother did that with me, <laughs> with me sharing all of that. He felt compelled that I need to try to fix it. And what can I do? I'm like, no, you've done what needed to be done. Listen. What I needed was. Listen and believe. Listen and believe me. I said the biggest struggle that African Americans have in this country is that when we tell our story, people won't believe us. That's what it's about mostly. I said it's not even mostly about the history of slavery. It's not, even, it's not so much even about the injustices of the day. The problem is that when I tell you what's happening to me now, you won't believe it. And that takes away from our dignity. I'm disrespected, mm -hmm. not just because of the injustice, the racism, the bigotry, but now you, my brother in the Lord, my sister in the Lord, 
when I tell you, you do me a greater disservice when you basically say, I'm lying. If I just be real about it, you're saying I'm lying. You're calling me a liar. So now I'm disrespected. There's no dignity in you taking no value. You're saying my words have no value. So that's what it's about. And we have to be careful that as we're working with people that we don't do that to them. Number 13, it is true, and most of us know this, that hurt people will hurt people. Yes. Please know this as a ready responder. Oh boy. That hurt people will hurt people. Uh, you are working with porcupines and cactus. Yes. <laughs> and you never know uh, what will trigger yeah the quills yeah <laughs> and uh, most of the time they're in they're just in defense mode yeah survival they're in survival mode um, it took us a long time I know me personally it took me a long time to understand this as a pastor uh, one of, again, one of my surprises as a pastor was discovering that hurt people will hurt people. I thought that hurt people will receive your help. That's what I thought. But hurt people will hurt you trying to help them. And you have to forgive them. Yeah. Not take it personally. You have to forgive them. Otherwise, you will stop. And right now, this region is full of that. I know it's all over the country, but I'm not all over the country. I'm in this region, so I have to say it that way. This region is full of leaders, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, all of that, who are offended because when they tried to help somebody who was hurt, who was hurt that person hurt them. So they're walking around offended because I tried to, how many of you have heard those sermons in the pulpit? You can't help some people. Mm -hmm. My Lord, but see, even when they do that, that tells me, okay, there's another person that ain't been trained because you don't get up and spill your hurt out all over the congregation because somebody who you tried to help hurt you. They ain't appreciate what you did for them. They ain't gonna, they're not going to appreciate it because they're hurt. And that's why we put so much emphasis on, on helping people get through their hurt. Because mm -hmm. we all been there, haven't you? When yes, you, you put out money for people, mm. woo, I'm being real, y'all. <laughs> you put your money, you help support people and everything. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about their leaving that hurt you. I'm talking about the things that they say and do yes. that hurt you. Wow, you are helping them. Do you, 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 see, and, and, and it's very easy then, you don't even turn it all on them. You look at God and go, look, now nah, I didn't ask for this in the first place. <laughs> but please know that it's true. Hurt people will hurt people and the responsibility is on our part to take the high road. It's on our part to walk in love and forgiveness. And so as soon as your mind shifts into, but what about them, then that means you're not ready yet. Right. That and means I will that, confess. that you still have unresolved issues still. about even who you are and yeah. your value. Yeah. 
because um, in that moment you have to recognize again that they are hurt. Yeah. Um, they don't know you personally. Yeah. Um, so you you should not take it personally. Yeah. This is a person who is hurt. They might be responding in pride because yeah, they are, are, are uh, because they are ashamed of even being in the position that they're in. So you have Ooh. to understand Ooh. that they are move, That's what they are responding out of. Ooh. It's not personal. <laughs> that is so key oh my god yeah. that is really true it, it will help you yeah. to not take offense and to pray for them and we're not saying that it's easy believe us no. as we're sharing this with everybody yet, sometimes you want to back slap mm -hmm. them but you can't do that. <laughs> especially since it never it really does it never feels like it's fair because some of the people that respond out of their hurt, they know they're hurting you. Yes. We're not even saying this is being done in ignorance no. all the time. No, it's to get you off of them. It's to get you off the subject because yeah. they are in pain. They're in pain. They're embarrassed. They don't like it. They're mad at God. And, uh, and quite frankly, a lot of times they're just, they're not ready to move beyond the point that they are in. So yeah. you have to let them go until they are ready. Yeah. Yes. Woo. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I received that for myself. <laughs> wow. This one we put in, and I'll just read it. Number 14 says, it's tougher, but not impossible for people to learn lessons late in life. Be patient. I put this one in there because we are dealing with such a vast range of age group, even amongst our own group. Uh, we we range from 50 to 80s, from 50s to 80s. Yay! <laughs> and in um, many church organizations and groups, that's that's it's a huge range from the cradle to, to 80s and 90s. And so you got such vast uh, differences mm -hmm. uh, of age groups. It's easy to make assumptions about what the level of maturity that we think people should where they should be yeah. and you're thinking such thing as they ought to know better than because that by now because of their age because we're looking at the age that they are right don't tell me that you 50 something years old and you still don't understand fill in the blank right but really it's really true there are some lessons i'm not gonna say experiences but there are certain lessons in life that people haven't gotten yeah. they've gotten the experience but they ain't learned the lesson that's why they're very much like God's people when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So it's really tough when you run into a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old who's still halfway in their 40-year wandering. Yes, yes, yes. And just think, I said, they're halfway in it. They're 30 or 40 years old right now, and they got another 20 years of wandering yet. Before they, before, they, choose. before they choose and learn the lesson. Now, there are some people who will follow the Proverbs, which says, I looked at the field of the sluggard, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. I didn't have to let my field be overgrown and, don't, and not keep up with it on a regular basis so that the work don't pile up. I didn't have to go through that. 
But there are some people. Hear me clearly. There are some people. They don't learn a lesson from what they saw. From what they see. And they believe this lie from the enemy. It's a lie. We've all heard it. But it's a lie. That says experience is the best teacher. Experience is not the best teacher. The best teacher is I saw the field of the person who believe that experience is the best teacher. How, how about I put it yes, that way? Yes. I looked at the person who believed that yes. and I learned yes. that that ain't true. <laughs> <laughs> I learned from watching them. Yes. So I don't have to go through it in order to get the point. Our, our middle son, Johnny, he, he was this type of person. He watched what his older brother went through, and he watched what his younger brother went through, and he decided, I'm going to learn a lesson <laughs> from what I see. <laughs> That's what we mean. Uh, but there are many people, unfortunately, there are still many people, they, they really don't. So it's going to be tougher. That's why I said it's tougher, but not impossible for people to learn lessons late in life. So what's our role as ready responders to be patient? Be patient. And, and remember what you went through to learn your lessons. Your lessons, in life. yeah. Because some of our lessons didn't come till after 20, 30, 40 years of wandering in that particular wilderness. Yeah. Some of the lessons that we learned. And that's what we've been kind of going through even in our, in our training we've been doing each week. There are certain things that you went through, and it was simply because you didn't know then what you know now. Amen. And so I'm saying apply that same level of patience and understanding for others. Like Just like I wish I had known then mm -hmm. what, what I, I know yeah. now. And when you yeah. see others, just think about it. I wonder if that's where they are right now. There are certain things that their parents, their pastor, never told them. Some of you have shared stories like that Amen. with us, for things that you went through. And the people who were supposed to be there to tell you and teach you these things, they didn't. So you're going through it wasn't out of rebellion. You know, it wasn't the same because children of Israel, they went through what they went through out of because of rebellion. Some of us have been in the wilderness just simply because the generation ahead of us didn't even tell us. Didn't even teach us. Thank you, Lord. So now you're in the wonderful, you have the wonderful role of, of being for somebody else what, what was not for you. Thank you, Lord. Aren't you glad? Thank you, Lord. God. Thank you, Lord. Wow. The next one, number 15. We're making it through it tonight. Yeah. Follow the advice. Now, this was this had a lot more to do with it. I'll just read it, and I'll explain what, it, what it's about. Number 15 says, follow the advice and policy of the organization or the agency where you're working. Um, there is a reason for every policy, even if it seems odd or, or unnecessary. We connected this, especially, you'll see this important, uh, if you're going into settings 
like the women's shelter, like drug recovery, going into the prisons. You, you know that's true because you're in both the shelter and, work, and working in a prison. They have policies in place, mm -hmm. and you have to obey those policies, right. even the ones that you don't agree with. Exactly. Because if you start going against the policy, you're closing your own door because yes. they're not going to let you back in there. So we share this as a word of wisdom for every ready responder because we fully expect more to come. So we'll be able to play back this video <laughs> for you in years to come. Yes. Because uh, you will. You're going to be involved. Let me tell them. Sorry, y'all. I got to talk to the folks that are going to watch this one day. One day you will, like some of the folks that we have right here now, you will be in prison ministry. You will be working in a women's shelter. You will take this ready responder training into drug recovery centers. You will be working with children and in the high schools. God even told us that's part of our words. You will be working in the high schools and college campuses. But they're going to have policies in place. And just because you're a ready responder and I got the word of the Lord, I don't have to follow these rules. Yes, you do. <laughs> How can you give the word of the Lord if mm -hmm. you're not able to get in because you transgressed a policy? Yeah, even if you don't, even though it seems like it's unnecessary, you know, one of the one of the most uh, horrible statements, well, not horrible, but one of the most damaging statements that often gets made is this one: "I don't see why." It's got nothing to do with whether whether you see why or not. No, you haven't experienced. They that. got a reason. They have a reason yes. for their policy yes. or for their procedure. So don't start off with, well, I don't see why. Mm -hmm. You'll be surprised. You'll, you'll have something as simple as policies is that don't bring no ink pens and pens and no CDs and, and all that stuff into our facility. Well, I don't see why. That's because you don't understand. They've had people break the CD and then try to stab somebody with, with the sharp edge. Yes, yes. Pen, pen, that somebody pen. left. I was just leaving a CD for my friend to play back my music. I left some of my music in the in the in the women's detention center because I wanted them to be blessed. Mm. And they told you, don't bring no CDs in here because somebody will break that CD and use it as a weapon. That's right. So what you don't see, why? <laughs> you don't see. It you don't see. <laughs> it matters. Yeah. It matters a yes. lot. Follow their policy. Please. Follow their Please procedures. Follow Thank you, Lord. Number 16, some people may still make poor choices. This is to encourage you. After all these rules and regulations and advice, here now we're going to give you some serious encouragement. Some people may still make poor choices even after you pour out your best for them. Don't be discouraged. It's still worth it. They may still make the wrong choice. Even after you give your time, your energy, your money. <laughs> can I say, can I hear an amen? Yeah. <laughs> and they'll still turn right yes. around and make an extremely poor choice. It's even that is mm -hmm. a part of their process. Even yeah. bit. Um, but you planted seed. That yeah. seed is going to come up. It might take a little while, yeah. but it will come up. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be discouraged. It's okay. Uh, somebody did it for us. If you really stop and think about through your life, you. uh, somebody invested in us and we still made poor choices. Yes. And they may have gone around for weeks or months or even years thinking that they wasted their time and their energy on us. And we know, no, you didn't. No, no they didn't. I just wasn't listening to you at the time. 
I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it, but it still is a voice that I hear today. Yeah. And it's proving that God had been speaking to me all along. And it also proves that God's word does not return void. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bless the Lord. She is preaching to me. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to sing so totally because of you tonight. <laughs> oh, man. And now this is kind of a continuation of the thought, number 17. Some people may not get it until further down the road in their journey. And then even to continue the thought with 18, you may be one word in a sentence, and that's why. You may just be one word in a sentence. And if your word is coming early in the sentence, it doesn't make any sense right now. You know, I think of something, uh, let me use you guys as an example. Uh, uh, some Three-word sentence, God loves you. So your word might be to some person, God. God. So that's all they keep hearing is God. What? God. What? Then loves. And every time it comes, comes to you, he loves. Loves. Okay. But when they finally get that third word, you. And you're always bringing the emphasis on you. It's you. It's you. Then they go, God's been telling me all these years he loves me. He loves me. And Paul, understanding that goals, understood one plants, another water, God gives the increase. All of us played our part. But that process may have been 10 years of hearing God, 10 years of hearing love, and then you come along and you. And without understanding that, you'd be thinking, I gave the word, and their life changed like that, not knowing it was 20 years. <laughs> and God gave the increase when you spoke your word in the sentence. But all of us, every single one of you, did what God told you to do in that person's life. That's how it is. So you might just be one word in a sentence, but they're going to get the whole thing. Yep. And then a statement that you've heard us make many, many times, people don't care. And it's not an original. I don't, I don't know who actually said it first. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Absolutely the truth. Yes, it is. And uh, it changed our lives, even personally, when we got a hold of this statement. I don't know when it first came into our lives uh, because uh of my background and my upbringing and the circumstances of my life with me being born into the world, into a grief-stricken family and all of that, as part of my self-esteem journey and all of that, uh, it, was, it was, became very important to me that people knew how much I knew. Not that I was going to tell them, but I, was, I felt secretly insulted that people didn't really know how much I knew. And then when I finally started getting chances to talk and express myself, a lot of emphasis was more on how much I knew. Because I was a quiet, very quiet person. And so when I had opportunities to speak, it meant a lot. And I would speak and talk long. Still talk long to this day. <laughs> but I would talk long, two and a half hours when I was younger. Remember, my first, my first speaking time, I'd speak and talk for two hours, two and a half hours, <laughs> until this statement came into my life. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Then, yeah, it got short real quick because it don't take that long to express how much you care. 
It don't take long at all. Then people would ask what I knew. Then I talked long. <laughs> but it came at a request. It, it became more of answering questions than making statements. And I share that with you. I give you that one for free. No offering necessary. Okay. <laughs> but, but I just share that with you because I just wanted to tell you how that came about in my own life. Uh, because I believe that there are many uh, ready, there are many of us pastors, people serving in fivefold ministry, or even not even necessarily in ministry, but they're still working through their own affirmation issues and all of that so and it is important you know you still want people to know that there's more to me than just what you see on the surface everybody has that sure. uh, but you literally have to be trained like what we're doing these days mm -hmm. and in this season you have to be trained to hold that back to prioritize to prioritize that it's more about people knowing how much you care mm -hmm. they're going to ask you what you know if they know you really care about yes. them. They're going to want to know what you what you know. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And then the last one, final statement is, you can do this. After all of you that, can do this. you can do this. <laughs> Please know that you can do this and you will do this. Cause, and I sh we share that because when you go through all of this list of things, I don't, we don't want it to come off as, here are all of the reasons why you don't really want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> And I share this again because I've come from the same world as many of you, that even when you did go through training or premarital counseling or whatever, they presented it in such a way as to try to deter you from doing it, you know, especially like marriage counseling. We're going to give you all the worst things that can happen to you scenarios. so that you really think about it before you get married. And no, we're not going to treat it like a huge warning session. We're going to prepare you it's to just have a healthy relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what this is about. Have a healthy relationship with the people yeah. that we are literally called to serve. Yeah. Because what we have learned through all of this, that it has more to do with our ability to listen to people than it is our ability to speak to people. Yes. It really about how do we listen to them. God will give us the words to share with them yes. if we listen. Listen to them and listen to him. And so we're just telling you, you, you can, can do, do this, this, and you will do this. Yes. Bless the Lord. This has Amen. been awesome tonight. Come on, give the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Hallelujah.